for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week I have Faye Wallace with me. No, a number of you, I'm sure, have already come across Faye because she's the host of the HR Coffee Time podcast, which is going from strength to strength. Just celebrated your hundredth episode, um, Faye, haven't you? And I can see you've got loads of followers doing brilliantly in the podcast charts. So if by any chance any of my listeners haven't heard her podcast, do I do recommend you check it out. Now, your role also, you're a career and executive coach. And when we were talking more recently, you were basically sharing, Faye, that actually more and more of what you do is coaching HR professionals. Um, and I'll let you explain a little bit about your, your background there. But that's what we thought would be a really useful topic um, because you've identified there are five recurring themes, pain points for those HR professionals that you work with. So we thought we'd dig into those and share some tips because we're sure it's going to be applicable to people out there. So, Faye, over to you. You give us a little bit about your background um, and what you do. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show, Lucinda. It feels slightly surreal hearing you say the whole introduction for me because I have been listening to your podcast for years and have heard you introduce so many other people. It's just a really wonderful feeling to hear you introducing me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And so as far as my background is concerned, I had an HR career. And then at the time of recording this, about seven and a half years ago, I decided to transition to becoming a coach. So I did initially my career coach training and then my executive coach training. And I started off coaching anybody from any profession with whatever it was that they needed support with. But over time, I found I had more and more HR and people professionals coming to me for support which was partly because of my HR background. So it meant that I really did understand a lot of the challenges they were faced with. But it was also because I had started creating some materials and resources to help the HR community. So you've already mentioned one, which is the HR Coffee Time podcast, which is primarily a career advice and prof professional development advice podcast for the HR community. But I also have a resource called the HR Planner. There's a free version of it available as a downloadable PDF. And there's also a hardback version available. And that is an A4 desk diary really that is way more than a diary so it's a way of planning out your career and work goals for the year and staying on top of them all so that's a very brief summary of what it is and who I am but I suppose one other thing to mention is that from coaching a lot of people 
from the HR and people profession, I started to notice these themes coming up again and again and again, some of which are what we're going to talk about today. And so after identifying that, I created a group programme, which is called Inspiring HR, which takes a group of people and focuses on helping them learn more about solutions to those challenges, as well as having time for coaching and reflection and getting to know everyone else in the group. So they have that peer support as well. That's lovely. So we'll obviously put links in the show notes to your HR planner and these other things that you're, you're talking about. Um, and obviously people can look you up on various social media to, to talk to you. So I, I was thinking actually, um, without giving any spoilers away of your top five, because I know what they are, um, how that links quite well with your HR planner approach, doesn't it? So the number one challenge that you, you're saying is, is about time, is the first one mm. you were talking about, the first one we want to explore, certainly. Um, people don't feel they've got enough time. What would you say the problem is that people tend to come to you with? Time management is definitely the biggest challenge. And actually, that's not something that we look at in the Inspiring HR Group programme because of the planner and all the resources around the planner. And people will sometimes come for one to one support around that. But I'm sure that almost everyone listening, if they're in an HR or people role, will be able to identify with that challenge because HR is such an important function and it's so in demand and it's so busy because you can be as planned and as organized as you want to be. But unfortunately, there's always going to be a firefighting element because we just can't predict what sort of challenges are coming up. And I think that's one of the biggest things that can create challenge because often people will feel really frustrated like oh, i really wanted to get an hr strategy or a people plan done this year but i just don't seem to have done it because i'm constantly busy throughout the day all these bigger projects that i'm really passionate about and that will have a huge impact on my career just don't seem to be happening so that's often something that people come to me with it can be really tiny challenges well they're not tiny but they sound tiny like email inboxes being completely out of control or just competing demands from all different people around you it depends on your level of seniority as well i think what the exact challenges are that you're faced with but uh, yes that is definitely a challenge that i hear again and again and would you say with the time management you just mentioned seniority would you say that time management um it is equally a challenge to someone in a more senior HR role as in um, a you know, more entry level role. Is it mm. across the piece? Yeah, definitely. You have to learn different skill sets along the way, I think, to help you with this. And there is no one magic quick fix solution to the challenge, no matter what level it is that you're at, because it's going to partly depend on your personality type as well. But there are lots of tools and techniques and by being more aware of yourself and how you're behaving and how you like to work and what helps you stay on track. Once you start to figure all those things out, it becomes much easier to get into a rhythm with these things and feel like you're running the day instead of the day running you. So if you're going to give a couple of you know, useful tips that, that along those lines that someone might do in that area, what would you suggest? There are so many things that <laughs> I could suggest, I guess, depending on the challenge. So if you are just feeling completely overwhelmed, one really helpful thing to do is to do a time audit and everyone thinks, oh, no, please don't make me do that. And that is literally where you track where your time is going. So if you're very, very good at using Outlook and everything in Outlook really is everything you're doing, that can be a quick, easy way of having a snapshot of what does your typical day look like? What does your typical week look like? What does your typical month look like? 
and then you can start to realise where the challenges are. And often when you get to a senior level, it can be, well, I'm just in meetings all the time. I haven't got time to do any of the work that I'm supposed to be delivering. So of course, the first question is, okay then, which of these meetings need to change? Which of them can you cut out? Which of them could you make shorter? Which of them could you send someone else from your team on and give them a real development opportunity? And when you're looking at your calendar, it can feel very overwhelming. And you can think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this sorted out. There just isn't even a gap in my calendar for three months. So it's about saying it doesn't matter if there isn't a gap for three months. That means that you can start planning to take control of it in three months time because those three months are going to fly by. <laughs> and lots of these techniques are things that I've tried for myself because someone said to me the other day, oh, you always teach the things that you need to learn the most. And I think so many of the things that I create or talk about are there because they're challenges that I've really experienced personally as well. I have huge empathy <laughs> and sympathy for anyone going through these challenges. So. I've tried doing the time tracking and then I have, or the time audit, and then realized, oh my gosh, I've really got to make some changes, but seen I haven't got a gap in my calendar for ages, but then being able to say, okay, if I look then three months in the future, if I was to imagine my, my calendar looks exactly how I want it to look, what's it going to look like? And then you can start planning that out. So if you're feeling incredibly guilty, you've not been having one-to-ones with your team, you can start putting them in there for the future and really setting firm boundaries over keeping them in. If there's a recurring meeting that feels like you just don't need to be there, it's a bit pointless, there isn't a clear agenda, everyone's just having a chat, you can get in touch with the organiser and say, look, I'm making some changes, I'm not going to be attending that meeting anymore. If there is a big project or a strategy or a plan you want to be working on, you can start putting blocks of time into your calendar for the future so that in three months you suddenly realise you are feeling way more organised and on top of everything. And I think talking about these things with your team as well can be incredibly powerful. It's such good role modelling to be doing for everybody else as well to be putting those boundaries in place. But there's lots of other things I can share as well. They're just a couple of tiny ones. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, and, and it is, I think, because you are at, ultimately you're having to help others a lot of the time. That's where it, be, even if you've ring-fenced that, that time, it's making sure that you don't end up getting sucked into the latest um, you know, whatever the challenge might be, it's very easy to get pulled into things, isn't it? And then the time just disappears uh, there. So, so a real challenge is even though you're customer facing, you're, you know, you want to serve your internal customers, but protecting your your time so you can be more productive, which I guess links onto your second point, isn't it? Because if you don't have any time, your second point, we're going to talk a little bit about a, a, a main challenge in terms of being strategic, so I kind of kind of nicking your your points. So <laughs> a challenge that people come to you as being strategic, I would have thought actually falls quite naturally out of if you don't have any time free, it's quite difficult to have the headspace to be strategic, let alone whether it's about having the skills. So I know that's something oh, people look at, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And also, though, you made a really good point there when you were saying it can be really hard if someone comes to you and your time starts being sucked up. So. I guess another tip over if you are going to start planning your calendar in advance and giving yourself these time blocks is something that's really important to have in there is buffer time because challenges are going to come up and it can be tempting to just think, oh, okay, my ideal week is going to look like this, you know, 
meeting time, emails, one-to-ones, project work, but you need to make sure you're giving yourself a bit of leeway as well for when challenges do come up. And so that means, let's say you've given yourself Tuesday um, at two o'clock for one hour, you're going to work on your strategic plan on that day. And then someone comes in going, oh my goodness, we've had a nightmare. Someone's thrown a chair across the room and hit someone else in the head. We need your help with sorting out a disciplinary. You know, you can't say, oh, I'm really sorry. I've got my strategic time at the moment. So if you could just deal with that, you know, you're probably in an instance like that going to have to deal with it. But what you can then do is think, right, where's my buffer time in the calendar? Okay, I'm changing that. It's no longer called buffer time. That's my strategic planning time. Yeah. And I've sort of, I'd heard about it a lot. There's a brilliant time management expert called Laura Vanderkam, and I absolutely love her work. She wrote a great, she's written lots of books, but my favorite one is called Tranquility by Tuesday. And I would totally recommend that to anyone listening who thinks, oh, I want more balance in my life and not to feel so overwhelmed all the time. And she talks about buffer time. And I always thought that's a nice thing to do and never really did it. But then I accidentally did it because my husband and I share the school pickups and most of the time I'll do the drop off and he'll do the pickup and what happened on a few occasions was he would get called into a meeting and then there'd be a panic like Faye could you please go and pick him up and I'd think no I've got a client oh my gosh this is so stressful so I thought you know what I'm just going to put in my calendar every day around school pickup even though I probably don't have to do the pickup I'm blocking it out just in case because I can't take the stress so what I have done is accidentally unintentionally created buffer time very occasionally I do need to use it to go and see the pickup but actually a lot of the time I've suddenly got an hour in my calendar that I can use to catch up on you know, all the things that might have moved around because other more important or more pressing things have come in. So I'm sorry, I just went on, carried on talking about time management. No, use that buffer time um, so that you can still get time time to do the important things, including being strategic. Mm. So when people come to you and they want to, um, you know, they say they challenge about being, being strategic. And I know that is one of the things that often I hear HR professional, or, or it's almost a criticism that it comes mm. out in CIPD surveys and things like that, 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 that HR professionals are, are criticised for not being strategic enough. Um, so it's not necessarily about the time either, is it? I, I mean, it, these all feed into each other, I think, some of your, your points here. What is it you think? Is it that, that people are being strategic and they just don't recognise it or they don't know how to be? What's What's at the root of that? A lot of the time people are absolutely being strategic and they just don't realise. I think you're absolutely right. There's been this really strong, loud narrative around HR needs to be more strategic for quite a few years now. And the problem is that strategic and strategy, they're real business and military words, aren't they? They're a bit scary. Growing up, you don't learn about being strategic when you're at school. It's not something you talk about with your friends naturally like oh what's your strategy for going on holiday this year it would be what's your plan for going on holiday this year so we just think the the fact there is so much criticism and there is so much talk about it and then the words feel a bit scary and no one's ever necessarily been taught what does strategy actually mean what does being strategic mean what does that look like but it just sends people into a bit of a panic so especially if someone is stepping into a role where they are being asked to write a strategy for the first time that's when i'll often have people say oh my goodness this is completely overwhelming (gasps) and then imposter syndrome starts coming out and you start doubting yourself i don't think i can do it i don't think i can do it but actually it doesn't take very much before people realize oh i can absolutely do this and this isn't nearly as challenging or difficult as I thought and 
I really think that that narrative is going to start changing. So when the surveys come out and say, oh, HR needs to be more strategic, I see so many dedicated and hardworking and intelligent and amazing HR professionals really making themselves get good at this and really investing in their development and really taking the bull by the horns and trying to become more strategic and be more comfortable with it to the point where I have got clients who are saying, I'm the only person on the senior leadership team with a strategy. I've actually had to say to the CEO, the organization needs a strategy. (laughs) I can't do my one if we haven't got one. And it's them talking about helping facilitate the whole senior leadership team come up with their strategy collectively. So it's quite funny. I, I, I can see the tables starting to shift as in that confidence is starting to build. And hopefully at some point, people will start saying, wow, isn't isn't HR strategic? Aren't people professionals so strategic? Come on, we all need to learn a thing or two from them. I like that. Let's get aspiring to it. And you're absolutely right. It's it's really common, isn't it? People think that they're um, not being strategic, but then actually they need to go and ask the questions of the senior, you know, what is our business? Because to be strategic from an HR point of view, as far as I'm concerned, you need to be aligning your people strategy with your business strategy. And if that mm. doesn't exist or is unclear, then it's really hard to do it. So those sort of questions that we can ask um, can really help help the business go forward. And you're right. Also, very often the HR professional has got the facilitation skills to help mm. um, make these things happen as well, which, again, that's great because that um, helps you demonstrate other value in terms of more than just sort of tactical fixing things, showing the rest of the organisation how to be more strategic. So um, so we've talked about time management, we've talked about being strategic, where almost it, it's more just of a belief thing, um, overcoming the, you know, the, the imposter in terms of that. Um, what would you say, what's your next top topic that comes up regularly? Well, linked to that is confidence. In fact, linked link to probably everything that we're talking about is confidence. And confidence is such a funny thing. And I think at some point in all of our working lives, everyone is going to have had a dip in confidence at some point. But what I'll find happens is often it occurs at a point of transition. So Mm -hmm. if someone is facing redundancy or they're coming back to work after having had a career break or having had a baby or they're stepping up into a more senior role, then they suddenly get floored by these feelings of, oh my gosh, I can't do this or I'm not good enough or um, everyone's going to realise or I I just can't see the way forward at the moment. This all just feels like it's going to be a mess. So the confidence thing, I can't tell you, I'd say probably 95% of people who come to me for coaching at some point or another will say that they just wish they felt more confident. So that is one of the focuses that we really laser in on on my group program because I just know how important it is and actually when you do start addressing that it has such a positive impact not just on your work life but on your whole life really. Mm. And how do you address confidence with people what sort of things would you do to help people find it? I keep on thinking I should probably do like a whole confidence building program but I don't know if that's um, going overboard so there are it's often really small things can make a massive difference but it's just about again that self-reflection and being aware so with the time management I said about oh you know you can do an audit of what your day looks like etc etc but 
part of that that's really important is also actually knowing yourself. So for example, I'm someone who really thrives with accountability and deadlines. If I don't have those two things, then I don't really get, I, I'm not very good at getting things done. But if I, so I, I, now that I know that, I make sure I put them in place all the time. And then I do get lots of things done. So like having the podcast, you know, Apple podcast says the day that the podcast is released. So that's massive public accountability for me around that, for example. But it's the same thing with confidence and knowing yourself and okay, then what is triggering those feelings? What is the event? What What is happening? Trying to really get to the root of it because the way a lack of confidence shows up for one person might be very different from someone else. And so the way you want to address it might be different. But having said that, there are certain things that I see coming up again and again, and that I and concepts that I think can be useful in almost all situations. So one thing I talk about quite a lot is this concept of fixed mindset and growth mindset. I think you might have covered that on the podcast before, Lucinda, have you? Has it come it's up before? It certainly t- comes up, uh, Carol Dweck, isn't it? The uh, That sort of thing. It's, it's certainly very relevant. Yeah. So if anyone listening hasn't heard of this concept of fixed and growth mindset before, it was exactly as you just said, Lucinda, it was Professor Carol Dweck. Well, she's actually a doctor and a professor, so I'm never sure how we should refer to her. You know, it's all very impressive. You know, Professor Doctor, perhaps, uh, Carol Dweck. <laughs> She did loads and loads of research and was really surprised by her findings. And she started off the research with children. She set them challenging tasks and then she gradually made the tasks harder and harder to the point where they were almost impossible. And she just thought everyone would give up, all of the children would give up, but they didn't. The vast majority gave up, but some of the children would say, right, they'd come up to her and say things like, oh, Dr. Dweck, where can I get some of these really tricky puzzles so I can practice at home? And she was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what's wrong with these children? I can't, I can't believe they want to keep going when I've given them something completely impossible. But the more that she researched it and the more that she tracked this across all different ages, she realized that what happens for a lot of us is we have a fixed mindset. And I definitely had a fixed mindset earlier on in my career. Well, really, until I read her book, to be honest, where you tend to think that you have got innate talents and that you're therefore naturally good at some things which means you're not going to be so good at other things and everyone else around us is the same and that if you succeed it's partly down to your innate talent but what she was saying is no that's not actually true it's also down from testing and learning and perseverance and keep on going when you get knockbacks and she called so she called the first thing, fixed mindset, and then the opposite of that. So those children who are going, woo, give me some more puzzles I'm never going to be able to solve, but I'm going to keep on trying until I can. That's a growth mindset. And when you start to look at the world in that way, when you stop looking at things as I have really succeeded or I have really failed and stop being quite so binary about it, it opens up a whole world of opportunity. And I found that just so incredibly helpful to think, okay, right, instead of having to think I've got to get this 100% perfect or I'm a failure, it reflects on me. You know, that's something I thought I was good at and it didn't go well. Oh my goodness, fixed mindset. I'm just going to give up and stay in my little box. Instead, what I really try and say to myself now is, I'm just going to test and learn. I'm going to try an idea. I'm going to see how it goes. If it doesn't work out or it doesn't go as well as I'd hoped, I'm not going to really beat myself up and say, Faye, you're a failure. You're useless. That's a, you know, a disaster. Give up now. Everyone else is so much better at this than you. Instead, I'm going to say, what can I learn from this situation? Not what are the failings? What are the learnings? And then I can adapt and change and try again. And I think that it the 
impact that can have is just massive because so much of the time we're holding ourselves back and we don't we don't build that confidence because we kind of stop at the first hurdle. So that's probably the thing I'm most passionate about when it comes to confidence, but there are lots of other things as well. We can be our own worst enemy, basically, can't we, though, in that situation then? So because we're actually almost holding ourselves back because you want it to be absolutely perfect. If you link that then to the strategy, or I don't want to do that because it might not be the perfect strategy, you can see how, how we go into a, a negative spiral potentially, or as you say, if we've got this growth mindset, we can spiral up and it will build our confidence because it's not about being perfect. Um, no, it's not about being perfect. And it's not about innate talents either. So many skills. I used to think people are just naturally good at stuff. And, and I wasn't. And I had someone at work in my former HR career. There was someone I worked with who was just famous within the organization for his negotiation skills. He was amazing to the point where I was walking down the corridor one day and said, oh, by the way, this person's looking for you. And I was so shocked by the reaction. They went, don't tell him that you've seen me. I said, what do you mean? I thought you really liked them. And he said, no, he's the best negotiator in the world. I know he wants loads of resources from me and I can't give them to him, but I'll spend two minutes with him and suddenly I'll be giving him everything and more. Don't let him come anywhere near me. And so I said to him one day, oh my gosh, I, I so envy you. It's incredible. I just don't have negotiation skills. And he looked at me and said, I've just had loads of training and I've worked really hard at it, Faye. And it was, it, I guess that was the beginnings of beginning to realise that actually I was really holding myself back on a lot of stuff because I just think I'm not good at that. Yeah, I'm not good at yeah. that. I'm good at that, but I'm not good at that. When actually, although it never, you know, I don't think negotiation skills are ever going to be something that I find really, really easy to do, but I can learn about them. I, I have been on a training course. So I know a lot more now, you know, it's, it's completely different. Yeah, so as motivation plays a part in it, doesn't it, in personality, but you, you don't need to cut yourself off altogether from it. it we, you know, you could get to a certain level of it. Um, great. Okay, so um, time management, being strategic, building up that confidence, they all link together as well. You can see how these all flow from each other, um, flow into each other and out of each other. Um, what would you, what's your fourth top conversation? The next one is about HR not being valued. So it might be that particular person doesn't feel valued in their role even though they're working incredibly hard and putting that all into their into the organization and into their work or it might be that they just feel the function isn't as valued as other functions within the organization but as you were just saying all of these things start yeah. to start yeah. to play into each other and self-awareness and understanding how different we all are can really help with this because actually the fifth thing is a tricky person to deal with. So a lot of the time, I'll start the conversation by saying, what is it that are your challenges at work? What is it that you want to work in, work on for coaching? And they'll start saying something like confidence or HR not being valued or I'm new in this role. And then just before the, the end of the call, they'll say, oh, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but there's this really difficult person that I have to deal with. And I'll say, that's absolutely fine. Don't worry, it comes up all of the time and often it might be that difficult <laughs> that perceived difficult person who is contributing to them not feeling like they're valued yeah. because not feeling like you're valued shows up in all sorts of different ways it might be you're not being invited to meetings that everyone else at your level in different function is being invited to you might not be being offered the same i've seen this happen not the same car allowance as everybody else at the same level as you it's like these tiny little things that can start to chip away at your confidence 
And it might be that you do do your HR strategy and someone else within the senior leadership team or someone else who you find challenging to work with says, well, that's a load of rubbish or, uh, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm not doing that. That, that doesn't matter. You know, you, you just don't really understand how this business works, etc. So actually the, the two last things are often very, very much intertwined and interlinked. And I just find that heartbreaking because I know how hard people are working. I know how much they care about doing a really good job and really making sure that the organization succeeds and that the people within it thrive. So it's just, it's awful when you hear people talking about that being their experience. And, and that's a really tricky one. I mean, you can see that then it makes you less confident and then you might be less strategic and therefore you're not going to be valued as much because you perhaps end up being more tactical and running around, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, not managing your time effectively. So you can see how it's, uh, it's, it's a vicious circle as opposed to a virtual circle, uh, a, a virtuous circle. So um, what kind of things, where do you start with that? If you're working with someone and you're coaching them, do you start by understanding that difficult person or do you start by thinking, are you valuing yourself or what could you do to be valued? Where's where's your entry point? So I'll normally ask if they can share a recent example of when this behaviour has, or this challenge has shown up. And so they'll they'll talk me through it. So maybe something's happened in a, a meeting or on a call or in a group. It, it really could be completely different from each person. But as they're talking, I will often get a sense of the of the other person who they're having the challenge with and also of what their default response is to them. And then a tool that can be so well, first of all, we'll just end up talking about it. And I think even just having because normally that person is so busy, just having an hour (laughs) to sit and talk and take all those things that have been swirling around in their head and say them out loud to someone else who's empathetic and interested and there to support them. It can already give them ideas straight away. So they start saying, well, this happened and this happened. And then they'll think, oh, do you know what? You know, I've forgotten that he mentioned that he'd been traveling that weekend and so he would have had no sleep when he came in this morning or they'll say do you know what i was so adamant on getting my point of view across i don't think i asked them anything about their projects or do you know what like these these uh what's the word realizations Yeah. yeah these light bulb moments just come from talking out loud sometimes. So sometimes I don't have to do a huge amount apart from sit there and ask the questions and listen. Whereas other times I might want to introduce a profiling tool or a framework or a methodology that I think will they'll find helpful. So I'm accredited in using DISC, which for anyone listening, they may be familiar with that or they may have heard of Insights, which is the same thing. So Insights uses colors, whereas DISC uses letters. So if anyone listening has ever had their insights profile done or has heard of insights, they'll know that there are four different colors. You've got red, yellow, blue and green, and it's exactly the same for disc, but you have letters instead of colors. So D from the disc is red, I is yellow, S is green and C is blue. And the idea behind it is it's not a personality profiling tool because it's impossible to profile our personalities because we are all unique and different. But there are certain ways that we prefer to behave in certain situations and there are behaviours that we feel energised by using and other ones that we actually find harder and have to use a lot more energy to get ourselves to that position. And just by understanding the differences between those profiles can 
be so incredibly helpful because we tend to operate in a way that feels comfortable to us. So for example, I'll give you an example. So I have quite a lot of I in my profile, a lot of yellow, which means um, I'm happy talking. <laughs> I'm happy coming Probably up with ideas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so in contrast, if I'm in a meeting or meeting someone who has more of a C profile, they are tend to be a lot of the time a lot quieter, a lot more reflective before they speak and much more interested in data and facts where I tend to be more focused on people and emotions. So you can already see straight away just by describing those two slight changes in focus, like different, different ways we get our energy, that there's potential for conflict. And I remember the very first time I had my disc profile done, it was years and years ago before I was accredited in it. And it said, you know, some of your strengths are that you can talk to other people very easily. You can often put people at ease. It's a good idea to be, be make sure you're inviting people into the room or introducing everyone in a meeting. You're, you know, you're, that's your strength. But it's also can be your weakness when operating with other profiles. You can come across as flamboyant. I really remember that word. I was like, flamboyant? Am I coming across as flamboyant? <laughs> or overly talkative or taking up too much oxygen in the room and so just being aware of that means that I adjust my behavior when I meet someone and I realize they're the complete opposite profile to me I will I will stop and pause more and I will invite them to share an opinion rather than what I used to do is think oh gosh this person's being so quiet the poor thing they must not know what to say um that's okay I'll just talk some more <laughs> and think of some more stories to share with them when actually they just are desperately hoping I'm going to stop and give them a bit longer to think before they come up with a response so that can be really powerful and I'll say where do you think this person you're finding challenging sits within this framework and often they'll say oh they're on completely opposite end to me. I realise now perhaps there are ways I could adjust the way that I'm communicating with them, adjust the way I'm presenting ideas to them, adjust the way I'm running meetings with them. And just these tiny tweaks can make such a powerful difference. And then if you build that relationship with them or, or finding out how, how I'm thinking back to the being valued thing. If you can start to sort of talk their language or not at um, cross purposes, then actually you may end up creating a, a position in which you are actually valued with them or you, you build a valued relationship. So it's very often it is our, our opposite types are our biggest challenges to, to work with. It's, you know, whatever um, colour or, uh, or or profile we are, it's often those those opposites can be the most challenging, but actually the best to work with once you appreciate each other's strengths, because you tend to be good and like different things, don't you? So they can be brilliant to work with. Yeah, it's so important. And really for any team, you want to try and have a balance of all of those different things. You can't have a whole load of people whose preference is to just coming up with loads of great ideas, but then never finishing anything. <laughs> and you can't have a room or a team that's just made up of people who are great at really getting into the details and making things look perfect. You know, that's never gonna work. You want to try and have a blend of all of them, but it can. there can be lots of points of friction that occurs when you have that blend, which is why things like those framework, I think are just so helpful yeah. at understanding each other better. But also when you were saying about 
about building relationship, often if we are finding someone challenging, we tend to back right away from them and just think, I'm just going to limit all my contact because they're a nightmare. When really, if you think about good relationships that you have, you get good relationships from spending time with people. You get good relationships from getting to know them. You get good relationships from understanding what their challenges are and seeing how you can support them with them. So often it can take a little bit of bravery if they're really finding this person challenging. Actually, one of the really good solutions is to start investing more time in, in start investing, spending more time with that person and really getting to know them. And you, rather than backing off, because then you actually can build a really, a really strong relationship. So that they, those are really I identify with all of those. They, they It makes total sense um, to me that those would be things that people come and have find challenging. And also, it, I'm sure lots of people are think, hearing these things out there. They're things that if we're just brave, if you like a little bit of courage, it, it's something that you could pull around the other way. Um, spend a bit more time with that person, get to know them, have the confidence, and actually things go in, in the right direction. I mean, it's interesting, you just wrapping back to yourself, you said at the start that you had, um, you you perhaps, it was a growth mindset, did you say it was a growth mindset that switched you? Or yeah, so I yes, so I definitely was operating under a fixed mindset where I'd put people on complete pedestals, like, oh my goodness, they're so successful because they're a bit special. They're just so super talented. You know, I, I could I could never do anything like that. I'm not one of those special people. But I think the growth mindset um, approach made me realise, no, this isn't true. Yes, we have all got natural talents at things, but there aren't special people. <laughs> there are just people who, who keep on going and challenging themselves and don't stop dead in their tracks if they think they haven't achieved something the first time round. So that is a sort of resilience, isn't it? That, so that's almost the, the what wraps it all together is is us realising, you know, if you're an HR professional, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this podcast, quite likely, um, and you you identify with some or, or all of these or have done at some point in your life, whether it's you know, struggling to manage your time, feeling that we're being strategic enough, um, our confidence, you know, getting rid of that imposter. A lot of it's what we say to ourselves, feeling that we're not valued, um, and, and uh, not all challenging people, certain people or a certain person eats into those or feeds into those insecurities. All of those actually are things that are within our control, aren't they? Those are all things that we can do something about if we believe that we can and we're prepared to um, take a step back. And I guess actually coaching is a great way of doing it, taking a step back and having that headspace to think about it, look, listening to looking at resources, but just not being our own worst enemy, making sure that uh, we can turn this around and we can change these things. Um, if, if we want to I believe in ourselves, really. Yeah, I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. That's probably the one key message I would love everyone to take away for their careers, which is you have way more control than you realise a lot of the time, especially when things feel hopeless. They're not. There's always something that you could be doing. But when you're in it, it can be really hard to see it, which is why it can be really helpful to have someone else to talk it through. But there's a brilliant coaching tool that you may have come across before, Lucinda, that I would, again, encourage everyone to go and look up. There are loads of YouTube videos about it. And it was created by Stephen Covey, who wrote the, I can never remember habits. how many habits it was. Seven, habits, seven habits, yeah. yeah. <laughs> seven habits of highly effective people. And he talks about the circle of influence and the circle of control. And he gets you to draw a circle and write down 
all, all of the things that are contributing to your challenge or that are making you unhappy or doubt yourself or what, what the big problems are that feel insurmountable. And you put all of that in a circle and then you draw another circle around it. And then he starts to ask you, okay, well, what could you do about it? What tiny little steps could you do that are going to influence that? And when you look at that, at tiny things you can do, suddenly you find yourself filling up that outer circle with loads and loads and loads of ideas and it's a really great way like if you if you haven't got a coach or you're not going to go for coaching you can do some self-coaching and that is a fantastic way of coaching yourself really to realize actually this might feel insurmountable but it's not there are all these tiny little things i can do that are going to actually have an impact and make me realize i've got more control than i think it is, it's, it's a really powerful way of thinking, saying, what can I do as opposed to what can't I do? And, and I'm sure it probably correlates with growth mindset. Because if you're looking at the things that you can influence as opposed to the things you can't, then you find you, you can influence more. And he says that your, your circle of influence grows if those of us who are focusing on the outside of it, as opposed to it contracts if we're focusing on what we can't do. And that's that whole victim mindset. Oh, so, so Faye, it's been fantastic. There's so much, so much we can talk about. I, I much of what you're saying absolutely resonates. Um, I think we said at the start, obviously, people can listen to your podcast, HR Coffee Time. If they want to reach out to you, what's the best um, website or, or what's the best way of contacting you? So you can go to my website, which is Bright Sky Career Coaching, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. I'm a bit of a LinkedIn geek. That's where you and I first met yes, each yes. other, I think, Lucinda. Yes. So either way, you can access all of the resources, including the HR Planner on the website, or learn more about the services and the podcast. Or otherwise, I would love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, Faye, thank you so much for joining me on the HR Uprising podcast. I'll put these links in the show notes. Um, wish you well with the next 100 episodes of your podcast as well. Thank you very much. I wish you well with the next 100 episodes of your fabulous podcast. <laughs> thank you. Lovely to have you on. Bye-bye. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast. <laughs>